your unfailing love, and um, I pray that you would um, soften our hearts and open our eyes so that we might hear your word. Um, please bless Sammy as he preaches us today, um, and I pray that everything we say we can do would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Thank you guys so much for letting me come and be with you. That introduction was pretty on point. Um, I am that all that's true about my family. Also, all that's true about my interests. I am a coffee. Um, I don't want to say snob because I'll go to McDonald's. Like I love McDonald's coffee, some of the best in town, and I'll go drip. I'll go all over. Um, and Denim and Denim. Yeah, one of my favorite looks, indeed. Um, so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a familiar uh, passage, I think to a lot of us, um, but I want to zero in on something that, at least for me, is um, maybe we don't always focus on. It's out of Luke 15, and it's famously known as the parable, often of the prodigal son, but more accurately of the two lost sons. And so I want to look at the very last section, and the image, it really is focused on the older brother and the father. So Luke 15, um, I'm going to look at... Uh, is that too loud? Are we good? Good. We're going to look at verse 25 uh, through 32. So Luke 15, if you have a Bible, verses 25 to 32. So if you know the story, the younger brother has come home. The father is so thrilled he has thrown like the coolest, best party that the family's ever known. And the older brother is just hearing about it. Here's how it goes. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive in uh, for a little bit, talking about this idea for a while, this passage for a while. Let's pray for a <clears throat> Father, we are thankful to you for your word. We are thankful to you that you don't leave us in the dark, that you really do reveal yourself to us, um, especially in and through your son, Jesus. And Lord, you also, by your grace, reveal ourselves to us. And I pray for myself this morning, and I pray for my friends, that I so relate to the older brother in this scene where there is this beautiful, joyful party going on that you are leading and throwing. And I am on the outside angry and jealous and bitter and proud and refusing to go in. So Lord, for my friends who are in that same place or can relate to that, I pray especially that you would come and minister to us this morning from your word. Would you um, bind up our hearts where they are broken and would you break our hearts where they are proud? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. That's the image I want to focus on. The, the idea that I want to talk about this morning is the, is the kingdom of God is like a party. And Luke 15, really all of Luke 15 is fascinating because you have three stories, three parables that Jesus tells. 
all where something is lost, first a sheep, then a coin, and then a son. And, and the moment they're found and brought home, there is rejoicing. Every single one of them. The shepherd throws a party. He asks his neighbors to come celebrate. The, the woman who's lost the coin throws a party. She asks her neighbors to come celebrate. And then the father here throws this huge, beautiful, incredible party. And the theme of Jesus is he's telling this to the Pharisees is, is this is the struggle for me. This is the image for me where so often in my life I am missing out for one reason or another we're going to get into on this, part, on this party that Jesus is leading and throwing and has invited me to be a part of. Um, some of my favorite videos in, on all of internet history, they're kind of weird, but they're well worth Googling. It was this church in Raleigh called Vintage 21, and they were doing this series called What is the Real Jesus Like? And what they would do is they would take these Jesus movies and they would dub over them, like how we might imagine Jesus. And so the last one they did, it says, it's just hilarious to me, but it's Jesus and he's getting ready to gather the disciples to do the Sermon on the Mount. But he walks around and he, to, the, to all 12 of them, he just starts criticizing them. <laughs> so like he goes up to John, he's like, John, you know, I, I saw you dancing last night. You were a little too close to that girl. And he goes up to like, you know, to like Matthew and he says, Matthew, like I heard what you said when you stubbed your toe. And then my favorite one is he goes up to Peter and he says, Peter, I noticed that you uh, were drinking last night. And this is the best line. He says, not enough to be drunk, but just enough to make me angry. (laughs) And then he like gathers them. And then he basically just says, gather all you sinners. You're all lost. You're all hopeless. I'm Jesus. And it's depressing. But the reason I love it is I think sometimes that really is a, that's my Jesus. Does that make sense? That's how I envision Jesus, is that he is coming with criticism. Or to put it another way, that he's not the kind of guy that you would love to be around. And I think the Jesus of the Gospels, and especially the Jesus of Luke 15, is the life of the party. Like, he is the one that is full of laughter and joy. Not because he doesn't take our sins seriously, but because he's come to do something about it. So let's think about this idea. He's he's throwing a party. And let's think about just two things this morning. Uh, First, I want to think about what kind of party it is. And then second, I just want to think about what keeps us from this party. Okay? So first, what kind of party it is. And second, what keeps us from this party. So here's first. uh, What kind of party it is. Again, I mentioned all of Luke 15, all these stories end in these these lines. Rejoice with me. Come celebrate with me. It's fitting to celebrate. So what kind of party is it? Well, here's number one. It's a party that is full of joy and of laughter. It's a party full of joy and of laughter. This, I think, we're reading a little bit into the, the, the mind of the Pharisees, but I think this is what bothered the Pharisees so much about Jesus spending time with sinners, with Jesus spending time with those who they thought weren't worthy of Jesus, weren't worthy of him spending time with them. It wasn't even so much that he was spending time with them. If Jesus said, listen, guys, I hate these people as much as you do, but I feel called by God to spend time with them, they would have been like, cool, we get it. You know, We're still the best, they're still the worst, but we get it. But I think what bothered them so much is not that Jesus was spending time with them, but that he was enjoying time with them. More specifically, that he would spend time laughing with them. Um, And he wasn't laughing, I I already said it, he wasn't laughing because he didn't take their sins seriously, but he was enjoying and laughing because he knew this is why he'd come. That he is the Savior who, who came to do what, in his own words, to seek and save the lost and in spending time with them. He was doing it, and it brought the, the laughter of the joy of his mission. Uh, there's a scene in uh, Lord of the Rings that I love that gets at this idea of, of, of laughter and what it does for us. 
And it's the scene of Return of the King where Gandalf is with Sam. They've, uh, you know, the, the mission is accomplished. They've, the, the ring has been destroyed. And Sam is seeing Gandalf for the first time. And there's this beautiful exchange where Sam says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. And then he asks, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And then Gandalf responds. He says, a great shadow has departed. I love the way Tolkien says it. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days and days without count. Here's my question for us this morning, is do you have the real Jesus who is full of joy and laughter, especially over lost sinners who've been reclaimed? So first, it's a, it's a party full of laughter. Second, it's a party full of repentant sinners. Uh, this is what the kingdom is all about, things being restored to their rightful place, right? Like Luke 15, that's what it's all about, things being restored to their rightful place. But it starts with people. It starts with us, broken and battered by sin. It starts with us being ransomed. We sing it sometimes, being ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And that's what Jesus has come to do. This is the joy of the party as he's accomplishing what he's come to do. But here's the thing for us. It means there's no such thing as someone who is worthy. It means there's no such thing as someone who deserves it. Um, years ago, I'll never forget, there was, I was listening to a sermon, and it was a guy who was uh, leading a, a campus ministry in London. And he was talking about how they would go and put up banners. This used to be my, my least favorite part of the job. I don't, we don't really do it at USC, but at Georgia Southern, we were always pressured to go put up banners on campus. And like, it was so hard to do a banner that was both interesting, maybe kind of funny, just that was attractive, right? Like they were just the most boring things in the world. And these guys had, were genius because they put up these banners all around London. And all that they said, and they gave the time and place for their ministry, and the line of the banner was, only bad people go to heaven. And I love that so much. Because that's the heart of the gospel, right? That's the heart of what Jesus is doing in Luke 15, that only bad people go to heaven. Only those who know, we sing sometimes in our uh come you sinners, and I love that line. The only fitness he requires is what? To feel your need for him. That's the You want to know Jesus? You want to be in a relationship with Jesus? You know what the starting place is? To know you're not worthy of him. To know that you do need him. You need a savior. I love the way that Dick Lucas says it. He'll say it like this. There's no such thing as being too bad for Jesus. But there is such a thing as being too good for him. There's no such thing as being too bad for Jesus. But there is such a thing as being too good for him. This is why Jesus, part of why he gets killed is these parables in Luke 15 as he is pissing the Pharisees off because he's saying, you don't get it. And these people who you think are out are so in because they, why? Because they see their need for me. So it's a party full of laughter. It's a party full of repentant sinners. And then the the third thing is it's a party centered around Jesus. Jesus really is the life of the party. Uh, this, I'll never forget reading, if you've ever read, if you're a reader at all, I'm sure it's in the library, uh, Paul Miller's Love Walked Among Us. It's a fascinating book walking through just the Jesus and the Gospels. And there's just one chapter devoted to this idea that, of Jesus as the life of the party. And he makes this fascinating point where he says, why do you think Jesus kept being invited, invited to party after party after party? And it's, the most, it's like, why have I not thought of, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're reading, you're like, why have I not thought of this? I have a lot of this. I'm 37. They're 
plenty more to come. But he says because people loved being around him. That he really was, you know, in the truest sense, the life of the party. But he's also the host. And he's also, we know, he's also the feast. This whole thing really is centered around Jesus. Uh, There's a line or a scene in Narnia that I love. It's in Prince Caspian, if you know that book at all. And basically the kids have been out on their own. Aslan is, is nowhere to be seen for most of the book, which is bothering the kids because, you know, what drew them to Narnia really was Aslan. And there's this scene where uh, finally Aslan shows up, and like he always does, he always really seems to interact the most with Lucy, the youngest. And there's this scene where Lucy sees him, and she says, Aslan, you're so big now. And Aslan, his response is beautiful. He says, yes, child, every year that you grow, I will seem bigger. And like, that, that's the tattoo I want. Like, I'm not a tattoo guy. <laughs> I want to be so badly right here by the upper by the maybe if I crossfit enough which I don't do just to be clear denim denim no crossfit um, that's the one I mean, that to me is the image of growth in the Christian life it's the more that you grow which by the way is going to be you being more in touch with your own sinfulness the bigger Jesus is going to seem and that's growth that's what this party is all about and then fourthly this is a party that lasts forever it's a party full of laughter. It's a party for repentant sinners. It's a party centered on Jesus. And the best news is it's a party that lasts forever. The good news is it's already started. This is, if we were to, it would be so fun to do this. I've never done this before. But to go back to the beginning of the Bible and just trace the theme of parties throughout. Here's a little bit. I mean, it goes back, think about Leviticus. When the lepers were cleansed, there was a party to welcome them back home. Uh, think about Ezra and Nehemiah when the wall was rebuilt. There was this huge party to celebrate the restoration. Think about, we already said, the countless dinner parties that Jesus has been invited to and feast with his guests and the Gospels. Think about my favorite scene in the Bible where Jesus is restoring Peter on the beach and he's cooking breakfast for them. I'm like, does it get better than this? Jesus, Jesus cooking breakfast? Like, those are my two things blowing my mind. Like Waffle House, but better with Jesus. Like that it just doesn't get better than that. First um, Corinthians, where the Paul has to admonish. This is a weird passage where Paul says, "Listen, I love that you love communion, but let's don't get drunk at communion." Right? It's a weird passage. There are these feasts. It ends Revelation 19, and what we what we know is the Great Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And the great marriage supper of the Lamb is this beautiful picture of we finally get to be with the Savior that we know, but we haven't seen, we haven't been with. And that day is coming, and you know this, right? This is the best parties. Like, the best parties are the ones that you wish. You say in your heart, I wish this thing could last forever. And the good news, y'all, is this is the party we're invited to. It's one that has already started, but it is really one that lasts truly forever. And this is the picture that Jesus paints of what the kingdom, what knowing him, what following him is like. It's a party. So let's ask the second question. What keeps us from the party? What keeps us from entering it? Because like, if you're like me in this moment, I'm like, that sounds, this sounds amazing. Like, what am I doing with my life, right? I'm in, I'm in ministry. <laughs> but that's a sort of bag because like, sometimes I'm in it for not good reasons, right? What keeps us from this party? Here's number one, our guilt. Have we done too much? Have we done too little? Not done enough? 
you know, so many of us are, it is so easy to live the Christian life, not out of love for Jesus, but out of guilt, right? Out of just, I need to do more, or I need to not do these things. And it's very, very, very easy to kind of covertly in your heart to be pursuing good things out of the name of guilt. Um, There's this illustration that I've always loved by this guy, Horatius Bonner, and he's talking about this idea, what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our anxiety? And he's envisioning, he's imagining two friends walking home from a Levitical sacrifice. So he's imagining two friends who have just you know, participated in the daily, uh, in this case, the, the nightly sacrifice of the lamb. And he's, this one friend in particular is worried that he didn't do it right, that he didn't touch the lamb in the right way, that he didn't touch the lamb with the right motives, that he didn't, he didn't come in the right spirit, that he just didn't do it right. And he says, he's asking, what should, how, should we count, how should we counsel this friend? And here's what he says. He says, should we not have told him that his own actings concerning the lamb were not the lamb? And yet he, he was speaking as if they were. Should we not have told him that the lamb was everything, his touch nothing? Should we not have told him to be of good cheer, not because he laid his hands on the victim in the most approved fashion, but because they had touched that victim, however lightly or imperfectly, and thereby said, let this lamb stand for me, answer for me, die for me. And he goes on to say, this, this is, you know, our faith is not in our faith, right? Our faith is in Jesus, the one who did live the life we could never live and died the death that we deserve to die. And we are resting. It's not how we touched him. It's that he's come for us and nothing can undo it. And it takes away, it begins to wash away and eat away at our guilt. But then second, the second thing that keeps us from this party, it's not just our guilt, but the flip side of our guilt, we call our shame. You know, guilt and shame is a fascinating idea. It's really so hot right now. Guilt, I think, is more focused around what we, feeling bad, feeling wrong about things that we've done or left undone. Shame is a different animal. Shame is, is not so much feeling bad about specific actions. It's, feel, it's looking at yourself and feeling like you're not enough or feeling like you're not worthy or feeling like something is deeply wrong with you. And this is why we can say there's a good side of shame. The experience of shame has been with us since Genesis 3, right? The experience of shame is, is part of our experience of sin and being sinners. So we can say our shame should lead us to Jesus, right? That's how the garden should have gone with, with Adam and Eve. As soon as they realized their nakedness and were ashamed... That was the moment they should have run to God. But you and I know the story. That's not what they did. Instead, they did the opposite. They hid from God. They heard him coming, and they hid, and then they tried to weirdly cover themselves with fig leaves. And it was kind of like awkward and not working out. But we could say that was a lot about shame. Here's the way that uh, author Brene Brown says it. She says it like this. Shame drives two big tapes. Never good enough. And if you can talk it out of that one... Who do you think you are? The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Guilt says I'm sorry I made a mistake. Shame says I'm sorry I am a mistake. Some of us don't go into the party because this is how we see ourselves. And for a moment, can I just... Can I just Let's tap into this just a little bit more. There's a scene, I don't know if you're a Rocky person. It's old. 
but maybe you're a creative person to follow up. <laughs> My man's gone data back here, yeah. Uh, Creed was the like the sequel, so to speak. I don't know if you saw it, Michael B. Jordan. It was really great. But you know, Rocky had that famous line where when he's asked, Why are you fighting? And he finally says, I think Adrian or yeah, I think Adrian asked him, Why are you why are, why do you want to fight this fight? Like, why do you want to fight this guy? And Rocky has that line where he says, To prove that I'm not a bum. So in Creed, they have like a similar moment where his girlfriend's asking, why, do you, why are you doing this? Like, why do you want to fight so much? Like, why are you so trying to prove yourself? And in a different way, he says, to prove that I'm not a mistake. To prove that I'm not a mistake. How do you say to you that Jesus doesn't make mistakes? And that his, why he came for you is he came to unshame you. He came literally to take your shame in his nakedness on the cross that he might begin to heal your shame, to heal those places where you don't, I mean, where you don't feel like enough or where you, you do feel like a mess up, you do feel like a failure. And there's part of you that says, yes, Satan, true. But there's the other part of that says that Jesus, Jesus loves me and he's come to unshame me and he's come to bring me into his party. So first, our guilt. Second, our shame. Third, our perfectionism. Let's keep going. Um, Haven't I made too many mistakes? Right? Am I doing this thing right? Uh, Some of us are deeply driven by perfectionism. It's the need to be in control. It's the need to be right. And it's the need especially to do things in just the right way. And some of you are crippled by this, right? Again, this is one of those things that's very easy to hide in the Christian life. It's almost sometimes we feel like we can push you toward perfectionism to say, all right, here's, here's what it looks like to love Jesus. Get at it. And for you perfectionists, you're like, deep breaths, because that looks like a lot. Um, I think a lot, this is a big theme in my life, and it's hard when you're a parent. One of the hard parts about being a parent is you begin to see like your idols and your sons just really wrapped up in your kids in these really painful ways. And my daughter is a true perfectionist as well. And years ago, one of the best parts of being a campus minister is I get to do a lot of weddings. And this was where at a wedding, probably like four or five years ago, Jane Mack was probably seven at the time. And uh, in Augusta, we show up to the reception. It's one of those like fancy receptions where there's going to be lots of dancing. I see that, and I immediately make my way toward the food, and then I find a corner just to relax in and try to avoid people in. My daughter's the opposite. She wanted to get out there and get on the dance floor, and so she did. So she, she was, like, the first one on the dance floor, and she was, like, you know, in her seven-year-old way, like, trying to break it down. And uh, then these older girls, probably 12, 13, got on the dance floor, and they, like, really knew how to dance. And so, like, they were, like, really breaking it down. And so I watched my daughter just crumble, you know, just crumble on the dance floor. She was just watching these girls. So it comes time to leave. We get back into our minivan, which is another depressing story for another time. <laughs> and it's one of those things as a parent where you're like, okay, gotta engage, I got to just talk to her. And it's one of those moments where, you know, you're like, how do I handle this? And so I turned around and said, her name's Jane Mack. I said, Jane Mack, you know, what's... What's wrong? And she's like fighting back tears at this point. And she, <laughs> it's not, it's funny, but not funny. She says, those girls, I hate those girls. They're better dancers than me. And it's one of those moments as a parent where you're like, 
part, part of you wants to just weep, and then part of you is like, try not to laugh. It's a weird, it's a weird moment. But here's what she's internalized. If I'm not perfect, then I'm not okay. And do you see how that just cuts the legs from under the gospel? It wants to say, like, of course you're not perfect. But I am. And as you rest in me and trust in me, it's going to be okay. So it's not just our guilt that keeps us from the party. It's not just our shame. But sometimes it's our perfectionism. And the last one is, it's often our pride. Um, if this is where, again, Jesus, as he's telling these parables, he really begins to ruffle feathers. I mean, just he really begins to set things on fire. Because these Pharisees, they're, they're thinking, of course I should, I should be at the party. Not these, not these people. And in that moment, they're showing this deep, deep pride that just will not let them admit to themselves, much less to Jesus, that there's anything broken in them, that there's anything wrong with them. Um, years ago, I, I was counseling this uh, couple, and it was one of those cases where, you know, both had grown up Christians, been Christians forever, and then as they dated, they really started to, to just really uh, struggle with lust and physically struggle. And um, as I was kind of trying to walk them through this, there was this moment where um, one of them was telling me the story where they had... Um, just really messed up, gone further than they thought they would ever go. And the guy, his response in the moment was to hold his head in his hands. And over and over again, he just said to himself, I don't make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. And it was one of those things where it was heartbreaking to hear, but it was also, it was a profound illustration for me of this is, this is what pride does in us. It won't let us admit that we do make mistakes. And that that is precisely why Jesus came. Like there's that fascinating place in Galatians 2 where Paul is arguing with the Judaizers. And he has that fascinating thing where he basically says, listen, y'all, if you could have saved yourself, then Jesus's death on the cross is in vain. But praise the Lord that Jesus' death on the cross is not in vain because he came to save you knowing you could never save yourself. Knowing you could never do it yourself. And that's why he came for you and for me. I'll close with this. There's a a story out of the life of this author and speaker named Tony Campolo. And he tells the story of going to Hawaii to do this conference. And uh, he shows up. He's kind of jet lagged. He shows up. It's about three or four in the morning over there. He's jet lagged. He's not tired yet, but he's you know in that weird state. So he decides he's just going to go to this 24-hour diner and get some breakfast that's not far from his hotel. So he shows up. He's in the diner. He's at the bar. He's eating his breakfast. And this group of prostitutes walks in. And he hears them. He's kind of like eating his breakfast but listening to their conversation. And as he's listening, he gets that there's this one prostitute. He learns her name is Agnes who's saying, y'all, tomorrow is my birthday. And the girls are kind of picking at her and say, so what? We don't care. And she says, well, I know. But she says, basically, I've, I've, my whole life I've never had a birthday party. And it's sort of one of those passing conversations where Tony Campolo hears it. And then they leave. And then Tony's he's like, alright, hold on a second. So he asks the guy working behind the counter, Joe. He says, Joe, like, do you know them? He's like, yeah, they come in here every night. And he's like, do you know Agnes? And he says, yeah. And he's like, I've got this great idea. Tony says, let's throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow night. So he says, that's a fantastic idea. Like, let's do it. They're going to love it. 
So they kind of coordinate Joe and Tony and the other prostitutes, and they get a cake, they get balloons, they set it all up. Somehow they you know, keep Agnes back, and then they bring her in, and they sing happy birthday, and it's this amazing scene. She is so moved by it, Tony says, that she literally at one point looks at the cake and says, before we cut it, can I just go take it home for a minute and, and just, just kind of be with it? I've never had a birthday cake before. And so they're like, sure. So she goes home, then she comes back, and they're celebrating. And then Tony, in this moment, just says, "Can't like this is amazing. Can I pray for us?" And they're all kind of like, "Whoa!" So he prays. He says something, Lord, Lord, we thank you so much for Agnes. We know that you love her. You came for her. You died for her. You know, thank you so much for letting us celebrate her. And then as he finishes his prayer, Joe is shocked and a little angry, and he looks at Tony and he says, "I had no idea that you were a Christian." What kind of a Christian are you? And in one of those, like, it feels inspired moments, Tony has this great line where he says, I'm the kind of Christian who belongs to a Savior who throws birthday parties at prostitutes for, at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's one of those, like, drop the mic moments. <laughs> but that's our Jesus. We belong to a Jesus who does that kind of thing, who not only loves us in the park, Part of the problem is some of us don't want Jesus to love us like that. Flaws and all. But Jesus says, come into the party. This is a party where you are known in all your flaws. And this is a party where you are loved in spite of them. Let's rejoice and be glad together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that that joy, that hope would eat up our despair, our shame, our guilt. Uh, Lord, would you lead us in those places where we are seeking other kinds of parties that are not fun, that are killing us. Would you bring us back into your party, the party of grace, the party of love. And Lord, would you um, let us celebrate with you today in what David called the joy of his salvation. Lord, would you let us know that and feel that even today. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Am I supposed to be like, hey, oh, thanks, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember hey. me. I was on the Religious Affairs Committee this yeah. week. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. like, he looks so familiar. <laughs> <laughs>